Welcome to the Karis Molecular Minute podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan, and I'm the chairman of the Precision Oncology Alliance, a large research collaborative network between Karis and over 45 cancer centers across the globe. Today, we are going to speak with Dr. Matt Oberly, the Executive Medical Director at Karis Life Sciences. And we're going to talk about some interesting research that came out recently in the Journal of Translational Oncology about how we can actually help patients with carcinoma of unknown primary and physicians who treat these patients with carcinoma of unknown primary. As you all know, there are some malignancies or some cancers that we are unable to identify their origin despite our best modalities in imaging and other technologies. And that really poses some challenges to the physicians who care for these patients. And oftentimes these patients are treated with a multi-agent chemotherapy and again, without any precise understanding where that origin may be from. And I think it's about five to 7% of malignancies are carcinoma of unknown primary. So what Dr. Oberly and I are going to talk about is a recent evaluation that utilized genomic profiling and genomic studies to understand the possibility of the origin of these tumors, which might hopefully help physicians and patients with this disease. Before I air the episode I taped with Dr. Oberly, I want to make sure you know that you can find this podcast on all podcast outlets, Apple's Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere. You can please subscribe, refer, write a review, and rate the podcast and give us the number of stars that you believe we deserve. And without further ado, here it is, the Karis Molecular Minute podcast. Well, it's really a pleasure to have my colleague and friend, Dr. Matt Oberly, on today's podcast, uh, the Karis Molecular Minute podcast. We're going to chat, like I said, about something really exciting that uh, recently we published in the Journal of Translational Oncology. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. It's always nice uh, to uh, to see you. Uh, just for folks who are listening to you for the first time and you know getting to know you a little bit about you into what you do and uh, what got you interested in pathology because you're a pathologist by training. So tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, you know, thanks for having me, Chadi. It's it's great to see you again. So yeah, I've actually trained as a hematopathologist. So an expert in the diagnosis and management of hematologic malignancies. So the way I, I kind of got into this is that I trained as a basic researcher in uh, the Department of uh, Oncology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, actually at the McCardle Laboratory for Cancer Research. And I got a lot of interesting experience there around studying mechanisms of transcriptional regulation in cancer. And it was an interesting era because it was in the era where we were moving from studying one gene to studying many genes. So microarrays had just become a new technology and we started to apply some of the molecular biologic techniques that we were using to study one gene to study you know, gene networks across the whole genome. And so after I completed my basic science, scientist training, I went on to complete medical school and was very drawn to pathology because of my bench research background. 
So pathology is the science of laboratory medicine. Um, and we're often kind of working in the background with our physician colleagues to try and provide um, oversight of the laboratories uh, in hospitals and private laboratories in order to essentially provide the best possible patient care. So it's estimated that <clears throat> I think around 70% of clinical decision-making actually emanates from laboratory results. And so this, sub this specialty of pathology was really interesting to me. Um, and, and it seemed to mesh well with my research background. So that's kind of the, the short version of why I went into pathology. And now how long have you been at Karis? You're full-time at Karis now. Yeah, I, um, I moved to Karis in August of 2019. Uh, before Karis, I was on the faculty at USC and director of hematopathology at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. I actually was quite happy working there as an academic hematopathologist, but um, got in touch with uh, some of the Karis folks and learned about what they were doing, very science-focused organization, and uh, was very uh, intrigued to join uh, their project to essentially bring laboratory medicine into uh, the 21st century. And it's amazing. I mean, I know how big your team has has become. I mean, you're you're the executive medical director and leading all of the pathology efforts. And uh, since the first time me and you met, I mean, the, your team has I don't know maybe doubled. I mean, how many pathologists are now you you're working with? Yeah, we have 22 um, full-time pathologists working with us. We've built a digital pathology uh, system that allows us to distribute our work uh, to pathologists who live uh, outside of Phoenix, where our main laboratory is. So we have pathologists working with us in Southern California, uh, in the East Coast, in Florida, and Alabama. So Matt, we're going to talk about a little bit about this GPS, MI, GPS, GPS, AI. You're going to tell us a little bit about this, but uh, I was just telling listeners uh, before you, you came on that, you know, this carcinoma of unknown primary as an entity does indeed, I mean, at least when I was doing my fellowship and I was in training, it does indeed exist. Like I was always trained that there is a subset of patients with carcinoma that despite your best effort of imaging and clinical exam and labs and everything, you still can't find where the cancer came from. And it's about, you know, depending on which paper you read, about 5%, something like that. And um, and at least when I was in training, and probably everything I was trained in is now obsolete by now, but when I was in training, it was, okay, we've done everything possible, and uh, you just do multi-agent chemotherapy, and the prognosis is, is rather dismal, frankly, for, for these patients. But you and, 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 and uh, other um, you know, collaborators looked at this differently. Take us through how this project started and take us through the, the process and methods and, and what the findings were. Sure. Well, so you know, the foundation for determining the appropriate cancer therapy is the diagnosis. Typically, we try as pathologists to identify what organ a tumor arose in. And in the case of CUP, it's presumed in most cases that a tumor arose in an organ and at a very small size acquired metastatic potential and, and metastasized widely, such that if you were to you know, image the patient, you know, like you said, it's, it's hard to find where the tumor arose from. But because therapies differ based on where the tumor comes from, 
it's been thought with CUP that if you can identify the site of origin of the tumor, it may help to improve outcomes because you can select therapies based on that knowledge. So there's actually been efforts for 10 years now to find better ways to identify the tissue of origin for CUP cases. Um, the standard of care right now is pathologic evaluation of the tissue with immunohistochemistry. Uh, you can apply lineage-specific antibodies to the tissue to try and get a sense of how the tissue is differentiated. Uh, so it has it differentiated like breast tissue or lung tissue and get a sense that it may be derived from that particular organ. But actually in the, in the last decade, many people have started to look at molecular approaches to identifying the tissue of origin. So for example, cancer type ID was a, a tissue of origin test that's been around for a while. And they actually look at I believe around 90, 92 genes, but with RT-PCR uh, to predict the site of origin. And it actually does a pretty good job when you compare against uh, the pathologist's judgment. So this test actually has you know, had a wide number of studies that have shown that it seems to be quite accurate. At least it agrees with an expert pathologist. But they've gone on to actually assess the clinical utility of this molecular disease classifier with the prospective randomized controlled trial. So they assign patients to two arms, either getting this molecular disease classifier or not, and then assigning therapy based on the results of that molecular disease classifier or empiric chemotherapy. And uh, the outcome of that trial was negative. So it, it didn't provide evidence that identifying just the lineage alone of COP is going to improve patient outcomes. So the other thought would be to identify biomarkers in these CUP cases that would predict response to specific chemotherapy or targeted therapy. And, and there is another trial ongoing asking that question. And so there is a CUP-HISCO CUP trial, which is doing molecular profiling to identify biomarkers in CUP cases with multiple arms and assigning therapy based on the results of those biomarker testing. And so the results haven't been announced there, but hopefully that provides some improvement um, to the poor outcomes in, in CUP cases. So we've actually taken a different approach because we have built on our molecular profiling platform, which is designed to identify biomarkers in cancer to also provide the lineage information. So our th thinking is that it's more important to know the lineage information in addition to the biomarkers, because as we know, many biomarkers, when you identify them, have different implications for therapy based on the context in which they're discovered. So if you identify a BRAF B600E variant in colon cancer that has different meaning than it would in melanoma, has different meaning than it would in, in thyroid cancer. So we've actually developed a test we call uh, GPS, um, which looks at the molecular profiling DNA and RNA sequencing data to identify uh, a tumor lineage of origin. And at the same time, with one test, gives you the biomarker data. Uh, and we're uh, hopeful that this approach essentially will provide context information to the biomarkers identified, which can lead to better selection of therapy. So just to back up a little bit. So let's say uh, a, a physician sends a sample of a tissue where we don't know the, where the cancer originated from. 
So you, you run the, you sequence that. And then what happens after that? I mean, you do the usual sequencing, which is currently whole exome, whole transcriptome. And then what happens after you do the sequencing to, to actually try to match and send the report back to the oncologist with at least as precise as possible with the origin of the tumor? Yeah, so I mean, um, essentially, as you said, we have whole exome, whole transcriptome sequencing, which provides a really rich data set. Uh, as you know, um, the more data you have, the more likely um, advanced uh, mathematical algorithms are likely to be able to produce a, a novel um, approach to these questions. So we have a really excellent cognitive computing group at Keras, and they use the DNA and RNA sequencing data to develop an algorithm that can predict a, a diagnosis uh, in these cases that are submitted. And it, it does so with a very high accuracy. Essentially, this algorithm derives a score, probability score, which in our validation cohort identified the correct diagnosis uh, in over 94% of the cases. And so this was a algorithm that it was a machine learning based algorithm that was trained on over 50,000 cases and validated on a, a secondary subset of around 5,000 cases. So, you know, the key is, you know, Chadi, to any machine learning approach is not only the, the quantity of data, but the quality of data. And so uh, a big part of the quality of our molecular data is that uh, Keras has been doing microdissection on every tumor for the last 10 years. Uh, and that's really important uh, to increase the signal to noise uh, in the molecular data. So uh, without doing microdissection, you dilute out a lot of the variants you identify um, with normal surrounding tissue. And if you're also looking at copy number alterations as part of your algorithm, uh, copy number alterations are easily diluted out by surrounding normal tissue. So key to the success of this endeavor has been the fact that microdissection has been performed on every case you know, that's come to Keras for the last 10 years, so. Matt, can you, can you think of a, of a case where, you know, I, I know we, we, we have hundreds of cases, obviously, that we get every day, but can you think of a case where the GPS did make a difference or identify um, something that might have altered the outcomes or the treatment of a patient from your memory throughout the cases that you've seen? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually all of our pathologists are dealing with these cases on a weekly basis. So we found it to be most useful in a few uh, clinical uh, scenarios. So with cup cases, of course, but also when there's a kind of a narrow differential diagnosis, when it's not entirely clear based on the initial pathologic workup, what the origin of the tumor is. So a common scenario would be the patient presents with a lung tumor, uh, but the patient has a history of a, a different type of cancer. Uh, say they have breast cancer that's remission. So it's not clear if the tumor in the lung is a primary lung cancer or a metastasis from the breast. And despite the you know, local pathologist workup, it's still unclear. Uh, and so we find that GPS uh, is extremely useful in those situations to try and discriminate between two choices like that. And at the same time, we're also running this algorithm uh, on every case that comes to Keras in the background. And it's proven to be a very useful QC metric. So if we uh, get to the end of the case and our, our GPS tool says, hey, this is a lung cancer, 
but the requisition that came in said this is submitted as breast cancer. We actually stop what we're doing and we go back and make sure there hasn't been a specimen mix up, whether it's at Caris or at the referring institution. Or for example, last week we had a case that there was a discordance uh, and it turned out that the uh, nurse filling out the requisition form had entered the, you know, the information wrong on the requisition form. And so that was a pretty easy fix. But So there's a number of scenarios where it's been quite useful. This is really interesting. You know, there, you know, I think the, you know, there's part that always says that we want to make sure that by properly identifying the origin of the tumor and applying a different therapy, the outcomes would change. It's it's a little bit tough to to show. I mean, I think clinically, I always try to think what kind of design would we do to actually do this? And it's not always easy because such a rare occurrence, I mean, that's really the reality. But, you know, the hope is that by helping clinicians identify the origin, that targeting the specific therapy for that origin might have uh, better outcomes. I mean, that's the hope. Yeah, and we're actually planning a a prospective registry uh, to collect this kind of data. Obviously not as as strong as a prospective randomized trial, but where we're going to collect information uh, prospectively from oncologists that are using GPS and it will collect information on how that's impacted their management of the patient. So I, I think that data will be kind of useful when trying to determine uh, the clinical utility of this test. Hands down. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a thought how big the registry, I mean, like the how many, couple of hundred patients uh, you're going to collect data on or is not decided yet? Yeah, it's, I mean, what would be ideal would be to engage, you know, essentially interested oncologists, uh, potentially across the Precision Oncology Alliance, who would be interested in, in contributing this kind of data. Hundreds of cases probably would be the minimum we would need to be able to make any conclusions. Yeah. Matt, I mean, again, you've been also very, we're not going to take much time of your schedule. Any, I mean, for this particular, from a GPS perspective, um, any other thoughts that we need to uh, have listeners aware of that I may not have asked you in terms of there is methods, application, anything you want to share with listeners that I may have missed in terms of asking pertaining to that particular uh, product or technology? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, the concept of a molecular disease classifier uh, is really kind of catching on in, in the pathology community, and it's being approached by uh, multiple technologies. So I, I described an older test that was RT-PCR, but there's been several groups that have published uh, their results on a molecular disease classifier, one from the University of Toronto that's utilized whole genome sequencing and looking at the passenger mutations to classify tumors. You know, another from Memorial Sloan Kettering that's looked at their DNA sequencing data to rather accurately produce uh, a classifier. And then, of course, there's looking at methylation profiling, which we haven't talked about. This is a a very exciting approach because uh, methylation marks on DNA are quite stable. And it potentially could be quite robust in producing a molecular disease classifier. The data looks very promising. The only disadvantage to methylation profiling is that it doesn't provide the biomarker data. So once you know what kind of tumor you're dealing with, you'll still have to go back and do additional testing to identify the best, uh, most appropriate therapy for the patient. So our uh, test is based on DNA and RNA sequencing data and provides the biomarker data, 
And um, my prediction is that we will be able to utilize the RNA phenotypic data as a surrogate of methylation profiling. And because as you know, the methylation of DNA leads to suppression of genes that are hypermethylated, you know, formation of local heterochromatin and impacts the transcription of those genes, which we are directly measuring with RNA sequencing. So the jury's out you know, right now as to the best approach for this. And I think multiple excellent groups are, are working feverishly towards this. And it certainly represents the, the next generation of laboratory medicine for oncology diagnostics. That's great. I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I love the idea of the observational registry. Uh, come to think of it, I just think it's going to give us a little bit more of a prospective evaluation. I think, um, you know, it's it's tough to do a randomized controlled trial prospective in, in this scenario, I would think. Uh, we realize the gold standard, but I think I do think that an observational registry into the utility and, and the outcomes would be um, the next best thing. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to getting started with that. All right. Well, Matt, thank you. You've been, I know how busy things are. So I want to uh, appreciate, I appreciate your time. appreciate you joining us on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. And uh, thank you for your time as always. And uh, let's keep going. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in and for listening to the Karis Molecular Minute podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Dr. Matt Oberly, Executive Medical Director at Karis Life Sciences, about GPS and about how we can help patients who are diagnosed with carcinoma of unknown primary or CUP and how we can help physicians who are faced with this diagnostic challenge and therapeutic challenge how to approach a patient with carcinoma of unknown primary. I would like to uh, point out that you can find this episode and all other episodes on all podcast outlets, such as SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, pretty much everywhere you seek your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, and refer a friend or a colleague. Let me know how we are doing with the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. You can direct message me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan, that's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N, or send me an email to cnabhan at karisls.com. As always, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.